You are listening to Reach MD, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Cottle, host of Everyday Family Medicine. Today's topic is Breast Basics 101, what every woman should know about breast cancer risk, screening, and detection. Joining me today is Dr. Monique Gary. Dr. Gary is a fellowship-trained breast surgical oncologist at Grandview Health in Sellersville, Pennsylvania. She is the director of the newly NAPBC accredited breast oncology program, and she also serves as director of the Hereditary Cancer Risk Assessment Program. She is a member of the clinical faculty for both PCOM and the University of New England College of Osteopathic Medicine. Dr. Gary, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, you know, there have been varying reports about when a woman should have her first mammogram. Can you tell us about what the guidelines are, maybe how they differ, and which you agree with? Absolutely. This is a really hot topic in breast cancer uh, prevention right now, and it, it really has to do with the 2009 guidelines that were released by the United States Preventive Task Force. So these guidelines recommended screening every other year for, for women from age 50 to 74, and then women ages 40 to 49 should have a shared decision-making process, and there was insufficient evidence to support screening for women over the age of 75. So to paraphrase, what we're saying is that contrary to what we learned in our training, that women at age 40 should start having annual mammograms, they found that women between 40 and 49 really perhaps should not have mammograms every year, and then starting at age 50 should consider screening every other year. This is in uh, contrast to the American Cancer Society, who published their guidelines recently, so in 2015, actually. And this guideline recommends annual screening for women beginning at age 45 and extending up to age 54, with every other year screening for women at age 55. This was based upon some data that showed that although mammography reduced breast cancer deaths in women between the range of 40 to 74, the greatest reduction in death was in women over 50 and that younger women had higher false positive rates, additional biopsies. And so for this reason, they changed the recommendation to consider screening at age 50. I, I consider there to be a couple of major issues with these recommendations, and, and one issue is very technical, but simply in a nutshell is that there are limitations of the studies that were used to determine these recommendations, and those limitations were not accounted for in the recommendations. Secondarily, from a practical standpoint, if more than 65% of all breast cancers are sporadic, that is, they occur in women who have no known risk factor other than being a woman and getting older, why would it make sense to screen less as a woman ages? Third, I think these recommendations do not account for 3D tomosynthesis, which is 3D mammography that has a higher resolution that's proven to decrease false positives and the callback. So my recommendation as a breast surgeon is in line with the American Society of Breast Surgeons, and I believe that starting at age 40, a woman should be considered for screening mammography. She should discuss the risks and benefits with her physician and should likely undergo screening mammography at age 40. She should most definitely get one every single year beginning at age 45 up to 55 and really should probably get one every year until 75 or until her life expectancy is less than 10 years. Um, the last piece of the puzzle is I think that women should really get a personalized and, and a detailed risk assessment based on her history, on her preventable and non-preventable risk factors for breast cancer, and then base all of the discussions about her screening from that vantage point. 
it's very helpful. And I think you've really described the guidelines in a very clear and concise way and also discussing why you've chosen the guidelines you follow. You know, this is something that I think is on the minds of so many of us physicians. Uh, as a primary care doctor, I have these questions, and, and so I think you did a great job of explaining that and will be very helpful. Let's go on to breast density. Can you discuss a little bit about what breast density really is and why it matters? I absolutely can. This is a fun topic to discuss with patients because I think, again, there's been a lot of buzz and a lot of interest in breast density with the advent of 3D tomosynthesis. Breast density is essentially a measurement that's used to describe the proportion of different tissues that make up a woman's breast. So the breast is made of fat, and then the breast is made of tissue, the ducts and the lobules, which is often called glandular tissue. And then connective tissue helps hold everything in place. When I talk to patients, I compare breast tissue to uh, honeycombs or to sponges or to things that have a structural component and then that also have spaces that are filled with fat or filled with fluid. So density is not necessarily a measure of how the breasts feel, but how they look on a mammogram. And it compares the areas of the connective tissue to the degree of fat. So that breast and connective tissue look denser or wider on the mammogram than fat does, and that's what shows up on the mammogram. Breast density, I should say this one thing, is that it's one of the strongest predictors of the failure of mammography to detect cancer. It is very much correlated, for, for example, when I speak with patients, to static on a television and where a console or a floor model TV has a great degree of static, a 3D flat screen LCD television uh, has less static or less density. And I use this to compare conventional 2D mammograms with 3D mammograms. Let's go on and talk about modalities for a moment. Can you discuss what 3D tomosynthesis is? And then can you also discuss other modalities that might be useful in screening and detecting breast cancer? Absolutely, and these are increasing almost every year. There's a different modality in screening and detection for breast cancer, and it can really be confusing for providers. But where conventional mammograms produce one image of overlapping tissue, so it's two-dimensional, it makes it difficult to detect cancers. But with 3D tomosynthesis, they use the same digital mammography, but we take multiple images of the breast by using several x-rays at different angles. And so what it does is it allows the radiologist to see through layers of tissue and examine different areas from all angles. And the benefit of this is that we see earlier detection of smaller cancers that would have never shown up on two-dimensional digital mammography. We get greater accuracy in pinpoint size and location of abnormality. It does result in fewer unnecessary biopsies and a greater likelihood of, develop, of detecting multiple breast tumors, which can happen in, in up to 15% of breast cancer patients. And, and overall, it is a clearer picture for the radiologist to help rule in what's in and rule out without. Some of the other imaging tools that we use to detect breast cancer include breast ultrasound and MRI. So ultrasound uses high-frequency sound waves that pass through the body, and those waves are reflected or bounced off of the breast tissue and then recorded by a computer, and that's done by a transducer on the skin. So that's how I explain that to, to patients. We put gel on your skin, and we allow the sound waves to go through your breast, and we can see the soft tissue or the, the squishy component of the breast where mammograms show really the, the structural component of breast. Breast MRI uses a magnet radio waves that are linked to the computer, and this creates a different type of a picture where it's in slices or, or almost like a loaf of bread. And due to the high sensitivity, breast MRI is not approved or really appropriate for screening for women. And this is a misconception that some providers have where they think they can get the, the best view, the most resolution inside of the breast. But because of its high sensitivity, 
it's not really appropriate for screening. It's appropriate to help delineate the extent of surgery, the extent of cancer. It's useful in the workup once the cancer has been detected. Or it's really useful for women whose lifetime risk is greater than 20%. So for those women, I recommend annual screening mammograms. And then I sandwich in between at a six-month interval a whole breast MRI bilaterally. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Everyday Family Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Caudill, and I'm speaking with Dr. Monique Gary, breast surgical oncologist. So let's continue. Can you talk a little bit about breast cancer? Specifically, is breast cancer primarily hereditary, or are there gene and environment or other factors or interactions that we should be aware of? And really, how can a woman understand what her risk is? That's a a great question, and I think there's a lot of misinformation regarding the component of heredity or genetics to the development of breast cancer. So I should start by saying all cancer is genetic, meaning something happens at the level of the DNA where cells continue to divide. They no longer die. They do not senesce. They stay in a reproductive cell cycle, and uh, this is how tumors are formed. Not all cancer is hereditary, meaning a mutation or a defect that gets passed down through generations. And if you look at the percentage of women, total women that have breast cancer, maybe only 5 to 10% of those women have something that is hereditary or a mutation that got passed down from their family members to them and that they are at risk for transmitting or passing on to their progeny. So I think it's really important to help a woman, number one, understand the difference between heredity and genetics. Two, When we look at what the risk factors are for breast cancer, we really divide them into two categories, so non-preventable risk factors. And these would include things like your family history, things like a childhood history of lymphoma and getting radiation to the chest. Being African-American, for example, is a risk factor for a non-preventable risk factor for the development of breast cancer. But there are other factors that are preventable, such as obesity. We know that obesity is directly linked to increases in risk for breast cancer smoking, alcohol content, um, not having children before the age of 35 and not breastfeeding are all preventable risk factors for development of breast cancer. And so when I meet with a woman to do uh, for the first time, I, I meet with her and I go over those things which are not preventable. We look at the family history. We look at her personal history. And then I go over the things that are preventable. And we come up with an algorithm. Sometimes I will often uh, do risk calculators to assess exactly what her numeric risk is and then we develop a plan of prevention based upon that calculation. You did actually mention some of the populations that are at increased risk for breast cancer. I want to just check to see if there are any other populations that you wanted to mention. But also, you mentioned the risk calculator that you take some women through. What are some other preventative measures that women should know about? You know, I, I tell women that the, the most useful interventions or preventions are those things that prevent most chronic and preventable illnesses. So exercise. 30 to 60 minutes a day, decreasing alcohol intake. So if we're drinking one glass of wine nightly to cut that to two glasses a week, smoking cessation has been linked with reduction in risk for development of breast cancer. Those are things that I talk to women about in terms of reducing their risk. Screening and mammography is not going to reduce your risk for breast cancer, and I think this should be stress to patients. And really what it's used for is it's used for early detection. And I think that that's something patients really need to, to understand because there are times and there are patients who will develop cancer and they say, but I've gotten my mammogram every year. Why did this happen? Why wasn't it prevented? And the answer is that it likely was detected earlier than it would have had she not gotten that imaging every year. 
In closing, is there anything else, Dr. Gary, that you would like to add to our discussion here? I think it's important for providers especially to take a few extra minutes and really delve into the personal and the family history of patients because these screening guidelines are so very confusing and the pendulum is swinging rather wildly regarding when women should get screening and what screening they should receive. And so the guidelines that are established right now are for women at average risk. It's important to understand what exactly average risk is and to determine if your patient is at a higher risk than average or at the average risk, meaning a lifetime risk between 8 and 12%. If your patient is at a higher risk than that, then she should probably be getting mammograms every year. And there are many of us with strong family histories of breast and ovarian cancer who meet that criteria for not being at the highest risk, for not having hereditary mutations, but for not being at the average risk where we should undergo less screening. And so I think that I, I want providers to know that the answer is not to do less screening, it's to do a better job of risk assessment and to teach women how to do the breast exam and how to examine for changes in their breast which might prompt a new mammogram or a new workup. Many thanks to you, Dr. Gary, for joining us today in discussing Breast Basics 101. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and you've been listening to ReachMD. To download this podcast and others in the series, please visit us at reachmd.com slash everydayfamilymedicine. Thank you for listening.